0: Space is amazing. It is mind-bogglingly huge. It is still expanding after an explosion that happened billions of years ago. There are galaxies that, according to our current laws of physics, are too big to exist. But they do. After our own sun, the nearest star to Earth is over four light-years away. We do not know how big space is, just that it has been created. Compared to the history of space, human history passes in the blink of an eye. The scale of space is simultaneously amazing and quite frankly daunting. Even with a high-powered telescope, we cannot see everything. We are a detail, a tiny detail. And even then, we still need a powerful microscope to see much of our own Earth. From the perspective of size, we are insignificant. But no matter how tiny the detail, no matter how infinite or insignificant something may seem from our perspective, it all still matters, because nothing is insignificant to God. In the same way the universe is still expanding, it's still constantly being created. Something as delicate as us is constantly being created. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 says that inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. We are constantly being shaped and moulded by God. For God is always growing us, always making plans, changing plans, and even shaping the tiny details that we can see. God is always speaking to us. God cares about tiny details and big pictures. There is never a time we stop learning, and there is never a time we stop being taught But sometimes we feel as though we cannot hear God speaking to us. Amongst all this information we seem to have to process each day, we stop feeling as though we can hear God. Have we stopped hearing? Or have we stopped listening? And I make this mistake the whole time. I get so busy. I feel as though there is just this mountain of stuff in front of me. I get lost in the thicket of my own thought and lose sight of God. The amount of times I get so engrossed in what I'm doing, I lose sight of what is going on around me, and then feel as though I cannot hear God speaking to me. But then I remember that God made us. He knows what is in our heads and what is written on the tablets of our own hearts better than we do ourselves. Psalm 139 verses three to four says that you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God knows us so well that He knows what we are thinking and what we are saying before we even say it ourselves. Because God knows us so well, God is not going to speak to us in a way that we cannot hear. God speaks to us in a way that we can hear, the same way Jesus did in the Bible. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells us the parable of the sower and the seeds. One of the many reasons Jesus spoke to people in parables was to ensure they began to think about and began to understand his message. After he has told us this parable, he then explains the meaning to his disciples so that they understand too. The way God speaks to one person is different to the way God speaks to another because we are different, because we hear things differently and listen to things differently because we deal with different things in our lives. We have different struggles, different gifts, and we face different challenges. And sometimes we start to feel as though we cannot hear God. We feel as though we are distant from God, but we are never distant from God. Isaiah 49, verse 16. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your walls, those walls have been made by us, and not by God. I create walls around things in my life that I want to control, or that I perhaps do not want to discuss with God, but I forget that the fences I have constructed are feeble, and that there are no barriers between us and God, because when Jesus died, the veil in the temple, symbolic of the separation of God from mankind, was torn from top to bottom meaning that the only barriers between us and God are the ones that we construct ourselves, the ones that we put in our own hearts and minds. In creating barriers, or through not taking the time to listen, we can forget that not only is God with us, but like a treasure in a jar of clay, like a priceless detail in something so fragile, the Holy Spirit is inside us and constantly working inside us despite our struggles, despite our wars, putting things on our hearts and speaking to us quietly, in a way that we can hear, gently nudging us, gently guiding us. It says in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Just because we struggle to hear God at times, it does not mean that God is not speaking to us. Sometimes to listen to God's still, small voice, we need to take a step back from all the detail, or stop looking at that big, scary picture, that space we are but a detail that mountain in front of us that at first looks impossible. Sometimes we just need to be quiet, to stop and be still, to be still and know that he is God, and Listen. Are you listening? What are your rules? And what is God
1: telling you about So what should we look like as church? Did you know people should see God in how we are together? 1 John 4 uh, verses 11 to 13 says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God's love in... God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. John 17, 20-21, in that Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray they will all be one, just as you and I am one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. So it's impossible to see God, but somehow when people watch us and how we interact with one another they get to experience him. And more, they will believe Jesus was sent by the Father. Essentially, we need to be living lives that demand an explanation. Last week, Mark questioned whether our beliefs are determining how we actually behave. If you read about the early church in Acts 2, they seem absolutely crazy, but in light of what they believe, it makes perfect sense. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Imagine this room with no needy people, lonely people, hurting people, because we all just provide for and serve one another. Now imagine people who don't know God walking into that. What kind of church are we going to be? I guess the real question is, what does Lord mean to us? We use the name Lord to pray quite a lot. But Lord's a title, not a name. And it means what he says goes. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus questions, Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? It's obvious the enemy always lies, tries to lie to us. But I think that lies change. It used to be, and biblically was, your redemption relies on Jesus and something else. Now it's changed to, you accept Jesus, and then nothing happens. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us? Really? We all love John 3.16, for God loved the world so much he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But when was the last time you read that alongside John 14.12? I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Would you think of us as a church that actively responds to Jesus' instructions to love and serve one another? Are our actions matching the teaching we receive? Think about everything we're receiving through sitting in church, cell group, extra Bible reading, um, prayer meetings. Youth. Here you go. If your parents told you to clean your room, what would you do? What if they did the serious face? You wouldn't come back to them and say, I heard what you said. Some friends and I got together and we discussed what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) As a church, we need to be far beyond worrying about who's going to put out tables and chairs on a Sunday morning, or who's going to teach the children at G2 each week, especially if we want to be a step further and actually serving out of the church. In the parable of the talents, Jesus says, so those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What kind of church are we going to be? There were two main types of people that followed Jesus, followers and disciples. At many points in the Bible, crowds and crowds of people followed Jesus. But at the end of the day, or when the teaching became too hard, they would turn back home. In John 6, many people deserted Jesus. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Instead of turning away, we've created a new lie of Jesus and my comfort, Jesus and my freedom, my priorities. Jesus says... If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Jesus has done all the battling for us, and we come with excuses, saying, I'm too busy, it's my final year, I need to just take in. Jesus says, you don't want that cross? Am I not worth it? Fine then, leave it. Jesus doesn't barter with us, he says, give me your life. There's a hard, narrow road that leads to life few ever find. And a wide, easy road that leads to destruction. You choose. There's no middle road. What kind of church are we going to be? This is not about earning salvation. This is not about paying God back. It's about questioning how well we actually know Jesus. 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6 says, And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in in God should live their lives as Jesus did. I'm not claiming to have all this down. But I wonder if we'd look different if your kingdom come, your will be done, really directed our action and directed our time together if we'd look different. Here's a couple of questions for you to pick from. How valuable is serving people and showing them the love of God? And how often do you talk with people you don't know on Sunday? Are we portraying an accurate reflection of church?
2: So I'm going to tell you guys a quick story of something that happened to me a couple of months ago. I was at a conference for two days in September and at the end of each day we finished with worship. On the first night, I was on my knees, crying my eyes out because I was convinced that I couldn't feel God. I knew he was with me, but I just could not recognise the way the Holy Spirit was moving and all that I could do was cry. 24 hours later we were worshipping again and I could barely get the words out because I was laughing so much. I was just filled to overflowing with this joy that I couldn't keep inside. And I don't know if you've ever tried to sing and laugh at the same time, but I spluttered my way through. So anyway, I left this conference like, Lord, what are you playing at? One night I'm in floods of tears, and the next I can't stop laughing. What on earth is that supposed to mean? And the next morning, I sat with a cup of tea and my Bible reading for the day, and God pointed out this verse. It's Psalm 126, verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Brilliant. It was basically my whole weekend summed up in two lines of scripture. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. I don't know about you, but I like the sound of reaping with songs of joy. It sounds like a fun thing to do, right? Reaping is to receive as a reward or harvest, and who doesn't like to be rewarded? I can tell you now, songs of joy are much more fun than sowing with tears. But that's where the challenge is. Before you can reap with songs of joy, you have to sow with tears. So what does that look like? Well, kids cry when they're throwing a tantrum, when they're hungry, tired, when they fall over and hurt themselves, or maybe when they've had a fight with their brother or their sister. And adults, we cry from grief, frustration, anger, disappointment. I'm not saying it's literally about the tears. I don't think God's plan is to have a church full of people who cry all the time. But I also don't think Jesus came to say, come, follow me, and I'll make your life happy from now on. In Matthew 16:24, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It sounds like there's plenty of room for tears in that calling, even if they are metaphorical. It's always a challenge to follow Jesus, and there are going to be hard times. There are going to be times when you feel like you're sowing the tears, but we've just said it's not just about the tears. This verse doesn't mean those who sit down and cry a lot will be rewarded with songs of joy. We sow with our tears, and sowing is work. If a farmer wants his crops to grow, he's going to have to sow the seed first. If we want that good grade, or that promotion, or that struggle in our marriage to work out, we're gonna have to work for it. If we want our friends, our family, our housemates, our colleagues, the people we bump into on the street, if we want them to know Jesus, if we want them to see the light and the promise that we have in our Saviour, we have to do the work. We have to share the truth, we have to share his love. And it's hard. You can pray for years and feel like nothing is changing. But there's no time limit on this verse. It's not those who sow with tears will immediately reap with songs of joy. It doesn't even say the songs of joy will come within a week or a month or a year, and maybe they will, but we can't know. What we can know is that if you are sowing in tears, if you are praying for and serving and loving unconditionally the people that God has put on your heart, you will see the harvest and you will go out reaping with songs of joy. Let me just say one more thing, and this is important. In Mark 4, Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Our job is to sow with tears. We can't force crops out of the ground. So let's sow with our tears and let's eagerly anticipate the songs of joy that we know we'll be singing as we reap. But we have to remember that it's God, and only God, that can make the seed grow.